All right, I want to invite you to get your Bibles out with me for the time that we have left today. I want to kick off a new series. I'm so excited to share with you today a series we're calling How Can You Be Sure? Well, it's 2020, so we don't really know, do we? Can't be sure about much. It feels that way, right? I want you to go with me to 1 John. So if you don't know where 1 John is, go to the back of the book. You'll find Revelation, and then uh, go left a little bit and peel those pages apart that are stuck together in your Bible, and you found 1, 2nd, and 3rd John. We're going to look in 1 John, and let me just tell you right out of the gate here, this little epistle from the Apostle John is power-packed. It's written to bring clarity and confidence about who we are. When, when I think about this little epistle, I, I remember my first day of football practice. When, I mean, I was, I was a little guy, and I got out of the car, and I had my pads, and I put my helmet on, and it was so big, I looked like Marvin Martian, you know? I mean, and, and I'm ready to get out on the field, and I look out there, and and it dawns on me, everybody out there is like a head taller than me. I mean, I, I just, I, I'm like, oh my goodness, everybody, I think I'm on the wrong field. These guys are huge. And I just remember my daddy put his hand on my shoulder and he said, get out there and remind them, dynamite comes in small packages. <laughs> Hits me on the shoulder pad, send me out there. <laughs> go, go hit somebody, sick them. That's how I feel about 1 John. It's powerful. And, and there's some, well, there's a lot of unique things about this letter, but one of the things about John writing is that you don't have to wonder what he meant. In fact, the one who wrote the epistle of John also wrote the gospel of John. And in both of those, he says exactly why he's writing. In fact, before we read from 1 John, I want to share a verse with you from the gospel of John Chapter 20, verse 31, he said, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing, you may have life in his name. Everybody say, that you may believe. That's why I wrote it. And now go to 1 John, and in chapter 5 and verse 13, he says these words, I write these things to you who believe... In other words, I'm, I'm trusting you believed the first thing I wrote, and now you're a believer. And so for those of you that who believe in the name of the Son of God, I'm writing so that you may know that you have eternal life. Everybody say, you may know. So the goal of writing the gospel was so that you could receive eternal life. The goal of writing the epistle was to show you how to know that you have received eternal life. Or we could say it like this. The gospel is how to be saved. The epistle is how to be sure. And so he tells them, this is why I'm writing this. When you read through the gospel of John, the word that keeps jumping out is the word belief. It's all through the gospel of John. Believe, 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 because that's what he wants you to do. He wants you to believe. But when you read this first epistle of John, the word that jumps out is the word know, K-N-O-W, because he wants you to know what you believe. In fact, he uses the word know over 30 times in these short little five chapters. 
I don't have to tell you this. This isn't news. But let me just point out the obvious. In 2020, there's a lot of anxiety about what we don't know. There's a lot of frustration about uncertainty about the information that we're getting and, and, and just things change and we thought we had it figured out and then it changes again and, and now people are trying to figure out what's school going to look like for my kids or what's fall sports going to look like or you know what, what's happening with this virus. Are, are we going to keep wearing masks? Are we not going to wear a mask? Am I required to wear a mask? Does wearing a mask work? Like, well, then you have one opinion over here and you say, well, this is what my doctor told me. I better do that. And then your friend posts a video over here of another doctor saying the exact opposite. You're going, I don't, I don't know. I don't, can I just say, I don't know. Don't ask me. Trying to do my best up here, but I don't know. But can I tell you today, there are some things you can be sure about. There are some things you can know. And so John writes this letter, and we're, we're going to just take the next few weeks, and we're going to look at it. But rather than just go line upon line and from chapter to verse to verse, I want to look at it from a few different angles. And the first angle that I want to look at the letter is the four reasons that John wrote. Now, if you're a note taker, you might not want to start by writing four reasons at the top because I only got like one and a half of them out in the first service. So it might be one reason today. But John said, there's a reason that I wrote. There's a reason that I wrote this letter. And I want you to see the first one. And his reason was simply this, that you would be full of joy. Anybody want to have some joy today? Amen. Amen. Here's what he said. Rome, or 1 John chapter 1, verse 4. Chapter 1, verse 4. We write this to make our joy complete. So John wanted to be happy. He wanted to be joyful. And he didn't just want it for him. He wanted for the church to be full of joy. So what did he write? He said, we write this to make your joy complete. What did he write? Go back to verse three with me here in the first chapter. And here's what he said. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the father and with his son, Jesus Christ. So he says, we, and when he says, we, he's talking about him and the other 12 disciples. He's talking about the apostles. He said, we had fellowship with God through Jesus. We knew him. We walked with him. We experienced Jesus. Paul would write in Colossians that, that Jesus is the fullness of God in bodily form. We know God because we know Jesus. But then he says, you, that's the church. That's you and me. That's those he's writing to. He says, you can have fellowship with God through Jesus because you believe the message that we told. In other words, John starts out this letter by saying this. You have an authoritative source. That's what he's saying. Don't you know that a lot of our frustration today is because we don't have an authoritative source? And about time you thought you had an authoritative source, that source changed its mind. Or some other authoritative source had a differing opinion with the first authoritative source, and it doesn't feel so authoritative anymore. And so John is saying, look, I know you can't know everything, but you can know this, because we have seen Jesus. We talk to him. We know him. John is saying, look, the apostles are trustworthy. Why? Because we walked with Jesus. We saw him do the miracles. We saw him heal. We saw him teach and preach. John said, I, I was there at the foot of the cross. I watched him die. John said, I ran to the tomb on Sunday morning and I stuffed my head down and went in and, and I looked where his body lay and Jesus showed up 
Sunday night and I saw him. I touched the nail prints in his hands and in his side. I'm a trustworthy, reliable source. And not only do I know him and he changed my heart, but John is saying to the church, he's saying, because he changed my heart, he's changed this world. John is now a pastor in Ephesus. It's probably around 80, 90. John was a young man when Jesus called him. I mean, he might have been a teenager when, when Jesus said, come and follow me. So now, I mean, he's, he's in his 70s, and he's looking back over his life, and he's writing to people that didn't see and didn't hear, people that didn't get to, to hear Jesus preach. And he's saying, look, I'm an authority on this. Okay, I was there. And, and not only was it powerful and did it change my life, but I'm looking back over my ministry. I'm looking back over what God has done in the first century of the church, and I'm telling you, it's changed the world. And can I say today that that John wasn't convinced, his life wasn't changed and the world wasn't changed because of his views about how Noah got all the animals on the ark. That wasn't it. He wasn't compelled. He wasn't driven by uh, his belief in six literal days of creation or in an old earth theory. He wasn't compelled by his view of who the Antichrist would be or what the mark of the beast would look like. Those are not the things that radically changed his life. He said, the thing that radically changed my life and has changed the world is Jesus. That's why in the very first verse, he said, this is the one from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen, we've looked at, we've touched him. He's the one we're proclaiming to you, the word of life. That's why Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 3, he said, as I've received, I present to you that which is of first importance. In other words, Paul was saying in 1 Corinthians 15, this is the most important thing. And then everybody leans in. And he says that Jesus Christ died according to the scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. What is Paul saying? He's saying what John said. This is the thing. I'm a reliable source. You can take it to the bank. I was there. I saw it. And I'm telling you, it changed my life, and it's changing the world. Have you ever thought, you know, if I could, if I could have just been there? Have you ever thought, you know, if I could have seen a miracle? I mean, if I could see Jesus, like, do a miracle, that would be enough. If I could have just heard him teach the crowds and the multitudes, then I'd really, I'd really have strong faith. Listen, don't feel bad if you felt that way. Just understand, that's why John wrote this letter. He said, I know you couldn't be there, but I was. I saw him, I heard him, and it's the reason that I'm writing to you, and it's the reason that I'm preaching to you today. I want you to know that though there's a lot of confusion about a lot of things, we have a reliable source this morning, and you can be sure that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen. John says, I want your joy to be full He said, I'm proclaiming what I've seen and heard so that you can have fellowship with us. Have you noticed? Maybe you felt it this morning. When we spend time with God and his word, and when we spend time with God's people, the body of Christ, it intensifies the level of our spiritual connection with Christ. I know some people would look at that and they would say, well, if you act more spiritual on Sunday than you do on Friday, well, you're being a hypocrite. Uh, 
no, I don't think so. I think the fact is it's a whole lot easier for me to serve Jesus when there's a hundred other people with their hands up singing his praises. How about you? Come on. I mean, we've all probably said some things we shouldn't have said or backslid or done some things we shouldn't have done, but it usually doesn't happen in church. Amen. I hope not. There's something that when I get together with the body of Christ and I'm with the people of God, my relationship with Jesus becomes intensified. We experienced it in communion earlier. We, we took the emblems in our head, in our hands, and we weren't, just, we weren't just gathering with one another for a moment of fellowship. We were gathering in that moment with an ordinance that Jesus himself put in place. And he said, as often as you eat this bread, as often as you drink from this cup, you remember my death. And so we're literally coming to the table with the apostles. We're coming to the table with Jesus. And we sense that and we feel his nearness. And, and John's saying, I want you to have fellowship with us. So I'm, gonna write, I'm writing this so that you know what you can have. You want to know how you can get joy back in 2020. You need good news but you need it from a reliable source. And so John says, I'm a reliable source, and I'm writing this because I want you to know the good news. And here's the good news. Look at verse five with me in the first chapter. Here's the news. He says, this is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. Here's the word. He said, God is light. And light, you understand, light reveals things. There's nothing hidden. There's a whole lot hidden right now. I got, everybody's trying to turn the lights on a, a conspiracy. There's like a conspiracy of the week happening right now, it feels like. Everybody's trying to, you know, bring light. And go, oh, there's too much happening in the dark. God is light, which means there is nothing hidden. And so here's the invitation. Here's the message. He says, God is light. But then he goes on to say, if you claim to have fellowship with God, but you walk in the dark, you're lying. That's what he tells them. He said, if you say you're walking with God in the light, but you, you still continue to walk in darkness, you're lying. It almost sounds like that, that he's calling for a standard of perfection. It almost sounds like he's saying to, to the church, if you're going to walk in the light, you better be, you better be perfect. I mean, you better not ever mess up. Look at verse 7 with me. He says, but if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son. Now, you might think, because he said, if you say you walk in the light, but you actually walk in darkness, you're lying. You might think he's going to finish the statement by saying, and the blood of Jesus, his son, keeps us from sinning. Because that's, that's what it takes, right? If I'm going to walk in the light, I can't have any sin. That's not what he says. He says, if you walk in the light and you have fellowship with one another, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. So here's what he's saying. Walking in the light does not mean sinless perfection. It doesn't mean you have to live perfect and never make a mistake in order to walk in in the light. What it means is when you walk in the light, you keep nothing hidden. See, there's a difference in sinning and in practicing sin. I mean, there's some professional sinners out there. I mean, they're practicing sin. They're, they're like getting good at it, you know. 
Like I'm trying to, I'm trying to perfect this game. There's a difference. He's not saying to follow Jesus, you have to have sinless perfection. But he is saying that you ought to walk in a sinless direction. He's saying when you follow Jesus, when you walk in the light, the light reveals the things in your life that are incongruent with God. And, and in that moment, if you will walk in the light and have fellowship, isn't that the opposite of what the enemy wants us to do? The moment we feel convicted about sin, we want to isolate. We want to separate from the body of Christ. We feel convicted. We feel guilty. What if they know? What if they heard? Oh, my goodness, I'm embarrassed. But he says, no, no, no. You're going to walk in the light. You have fellowship. You stay in the body of Christ. You stay connected. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Look at verse 8 real quick. It says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. My translation, you know what that says? Take your halo off in church. That's, that's, that's what that says. Don't act like you don't have any sin. Don't act like you're perfect because if you say you have no sin, you're a liar. That's, that's, what, he, that's what John's saying. You're just lying because you all have sin. But here's what he says in the next verse, and I love 1 John 1, 9. He says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Can I just say to you today, if you're hearing this verse for the first time, maybe you've never like sought God, maybe you've never prayed and asked God to forgive you of anything, maybe you've never had a relationship with God, this verse is as true for you as it is for anyone. Here's, here's the incredible promise. If you will confess your sins, he's faithful and just. He'll forgive you of your sins. He'll cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Now, confession means to say the same thing that God says about it. That, that's what confession means. So this is not confession, okay? Confession is not saying, God, if I've done anything wrong, I'm sorry. That, that's just like, you know, a get out of jail free card. You know, that's, that's like something you say because you have a guilty conscience. Like, I don't really want to deal with my issues. I just want to say, like, I'm, if I, if I'm sorry. Like, as a, just a general, I'm pretty much sorry. I just kind of, I'm sorry. I live that way. If I've done, you know, now I lay me down to sleep. If I've done anything. No, that's not confession. Confession is when the Holy Spirit shines a light on the issue of your life that grieves the heart of God. And you go, ah, I know God doesn't want that for me. He doesn't want me to think that way. He doesn't want me to talk that way. He didn't want me to go there. He didn't want me to do that. I shouldn't have been in that situation. And there's conviction. It's like the searchlight of the Holy Spirit shines. And then you say the same thing God says about it. God, that was wrong. That's confession. But here's the awesome thing about 1 John 1, 9. It doesn't say if you confess your sins, he's faithful and just to forgive you of the sins and cleanse you from the sins you confess. It says if you'll confess, he's faithful and just and will cleanse you from all unrighteousness. So when you allow the Holy Spirit searchlight to shine on your life and you say, God, I know this is not honoring you. I'm sorry, Lord, I repent. It is wrong. And God, I want to make it right. God not only forgives that sin, but he forgives all the other sin that you didn't even think to ask for forgiveness for. Isn't that good news? And here's, here's what's so important that we understand today about that verse. Because it is true for a person that doesn't know God. For a person that's never prayed, you can pray that. But understand this, when John wrote it, he wasn't talking to lost people. He was writing to the church. 
He's writing to Christians. He calls them dear children. And so this is a prayer. A confession is not just a prayer that you pray one time and like, oh, I checked that box. I'm good now, right? No. He's talking to Christians. He's saying we have to continue to confess. Why? We're walking in the light. And so long as you're walking in the light, the Holy Spirit is going to keep revealing things in your life that don't align with the heart of God. But he's not going to just stop by revealing them. He's going to remove them from your life. And so confession is something that we just continue to do before the Lord. We confess our sins. Listen, if you want to be full of joy, you got to believe this message. John said, this is why I'm writing this to you. I want you to be full of joy. I want you to understand that God is light. And if you'll step into the light and keep stepping into the light and have fellowship with the church, Jesus' blood will purify you of sin. And then, I've only got time to give you one more. John says another reason he wrote the letter. In John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 1, here's what he said. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So the first reason he said I'm writing is so that you're full of joy. Now he's saying I'm writing so that you're free from sin. It's almost like John, he tells this incredible story about how gracious God is that he'll purify you of all your sin. And it's almost like he can hear the wheels turning in people's head. Like, wow, man, if God's grace will just forgive all my sins, like, that's awesome. Like, I'll just, I'll just you know, just keep, keep living my life and letting God be God, and, and I'll be the sinner, and this is a great arrangement. And, and he puts the brakes on. He goes, wait a minute, wait a minute. I want you to know the other reason I'm writing this, I'm writing this so that you will not sin. And again, it sounds like he's, he's talking about sinless perfection. What, never? Like no sin? Really? But John explains to the people that the Holy Spirit is going to continue to search your heart. He's going to reveal the things that the Holy Spirit wants to remove. But just because he's faithful to do that, it doesn't mean that you can just continually, intentionally, willfully walk in sin. You know, Paul said it like this. Paul said, where sin abounds, grace does much more abound. And then quickly, he clarified that statement. He didn't want people to walk away with the same attitude that said, well, hey, if, if every time I sin, grace is greater, well, hey, let's just keep making grace amazing, and we'll just keep sinning. And so here's, here's what Paul did. Right after he said where sin abounds, Grace does much more abound. In Romans chapter 6, verse 1, he said, what shall we say then? Because that's true. What shall we say? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And then he doubles down on that statement down in verse 12 of the same chapter. He says, therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. You know what he's saying? He's saying you don't have to be sinless to follow Jesus, but if you follow Jesus, you should sin less. It's not a standard of sinless perfection, but it is a sinless 
direction. John's saying, that's my story. That's what happened in my life. And so now he's saying what Paul said, I'm writing this to you so that you'll know that you will not have to live in sin. And then he gives the first we know statement. And there's a bunch of them. But right here in verse 3 is the first we know. This is what you can be sure of. He says, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Oh, it's that easy. Okay, well, just, just keep all the commands and you'll never, you'll never doubt your relationship with God. He said, we know that we've come to know him if we keep his commands. Again, it's not an expectation that you'll never make a mistake because verse 8, we read it earlier. He said, if you claim to never have sin, well, you're lying. See, the reality is there were people that were spreading false doctrine in the church of Ephesus that he was writing to. And those people were basically saying that what matters to God is, is the spirit man and the physical man is earthly and carnal. It's going to die. It doesn't really matter. And so what God cares about is what happens in your spirit. What happens in your flesh, that doesn't really matter. And this false doctrine was permeating the church to where people were kind of feeling like it doesn't matter what I do. It doesn't matter what I do on the weekend. It doesn't matter how I treat my body. It doesn't matter what I do to other people's body because that's all sinful and it's, it's mortal. But what God cares about is the spirit. John is saying, hey, the opposite of that is the truth. I'm a witness. I'm a reliable source. I was there. I walked with Jesus. He changed my heart and then he changed my life and then he changed the world. And so what John is saying is true is when you walk in the light and you have fellowship with God and with his people, not only does it change your confession, it changes your conduct. It doesn't just change the way you talk. It changes the way you walk. There's something that's different about your life. John said, I'm a reliable source because when I was a teenager and Jesus called me into the ministry, he called John and his brother James at the same time. And he gave them a nickname. You know what he called them? He said, sons of thunder. That was their nickname. Sons of thunder. They were brash, bullheaded. One time, Luke records that Jesus was going through Samaria and he was trying to find a place to stay the night. But the people rejected him. They wouldn't let him stay there. Here's John's rationale. John says, it's in the Bible. John says, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? Like, I mean, that's rational, right? Isn't that what Elijah did to the false prophets of Baal in the Old Testament? So John's like, come on, give them one. Give them a good one, Jesus. Let them have it. Jesus says, no, John, no, we'll stay somewhere else. But you know what? The son of thunder became known as the apostle of love. How'd that happen? Because he walked in the light. Because he walked in the light. And all of a sudden, his life began to change. John recorded how it happened. In fact, Jesus said something to him on the night that he was going to be arrested and go to the cross. They were there in the upper room, probably at the same table where they had communion. And Jesus said something, and John recorded it in John chapter 14. In verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commands. 
Kind of sounds like what John wrote later to the church. If you love me, keep my commands. But Jesus didn't stop there. He went a little farther and he said, and I, here's what I'm going to do. I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. And then he identified the advocate. He said in verse 17, the spirit of truth. Jesus said, I'm sending the spirit of truth. Is anybody hungry for the truth? I mean, come on, in a, in a time where we're so unsure and uncertain about what is real and what is right and what is wrong, Jesus said, you know how you're going to keep my commandments? I'm going to send you the spirit of truth. The world, he said, cannot accept him because it neither sees him or knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be in you. Jesus looked at John John had been with Jesus for three and a half years by this point. He said, you know the spirit of truth. You've been with me. You know how he operates. John had already been sent out and done ministry and come back and said, wow, Jesus, we we healed the sick and we cast out devils in your name. And it was amazing. Jesus said, "You, you know what it's like when the spirit moves. He's been with you, but he's going to be in you. Why? Because Jesus wants a people that can be full of joy and free from sin. And he said, here's how you're going to do it. My Holy Spirit is going to come and fill you. And and Pastor Chris quoted the verse earlier. Jesus told them in Acts 1.8, he said, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. It's going to start where you live, and it's going to go to the ends of the earth. You're going to be effective witnesses. Why? Because the spirit of truth is going, the one who's been with you is going to be in you. Can I I just say, if you are a professing Christian, but you're struggling with a pattern of sin, I don't mean a mistake here and there. We all make mistakes. I mean a habit. I mean a, a continual, habitual pattern of sin in your life. Let me just tell you, friend, you're not an effective witness. You're not. I don't say that to insult you. I just say it because people have eyes and they're watching your life. And if you're living a lifestyle of sin, you're not an effective witness. But there's a solution. Jesus said, I want you to be an effective witness to the ends of the earth. So I'm sending my Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. And he's going to empower you to do it. Can I just say this to you today? You can be sure of this. You can't be sure of a lot of things, but you can be sure of this. Jesus wants to set you free from sin. He wants to set you free from the things that hold you back, that frustration that you feel when you come into the house of God and you don't even want to say it out loud. You know you should confess it, but you've done it so many times, you feel like, man, this this is empty now. Like, surely God's not going to forgive me again. I've said this too many times telling you God wants to give you his spirit to empower you to break free. Paul said it like this. He said, we have an obligation, but it's not to the sinful nature to live according to its desires. No, you have a new obligation. Why? Because you're walking in the light. And that doesn't mean sinless perfection. 
but it does mean that the light is shining in the areas of your life. God wants to reveal something. If I want to pray for you here at the end of this service, and maybe you're here today and, and you're hearing this message and you need, you need the joy of salvation. You need the, the joy of knowing that you can be sure that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Maybe you're here today and you've struggled with sin. And you need God to set you free from it. I want to pray for you right now. And I'm going to ask you, if you would just, just make an altar right where you're at, right where you're sitting. Just make an altar and be honest with God. Remember, confession is not a generic uh, shotgun prayer into the air that says, God, I'm sorry. I hope, every, I hope we're good. I hope we're good. No. Confession is saying, Holy Spirit, shine your light on my life. Reveal to me the things that offend the heart of God. And then you say the same thing about it that God says. God, I'm sorry. This is sin in my life. Would you allow the Holy Spirit to just turn God's light upon your heart for a moment? Now I'm going to ask if you would pray this prayer with me. Maybe you want to just lift your hands heavenward. And let's pray this together. Say, God, I confess. I'm a sinner in need of grace. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for revealing and removing the sin in my life. All unrighteousness. I receive grace today. I receive forgiveness again. Wash me, Lord, and make me clean. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now I want to ask if you would stand. If, if you're able, would you stand all over this room? This service is not quite over. Gina's outside. She's got popcorn waiting for you. I just sensed something today in the spirit. This wasn't my plan, but I sensed this so clearly today. That there are people in the church that have just, just not been able to get over some of the, some of the stuff, whether it's an addiction, maybe it's a mindset that you just can't get victory over. You just, you know it's not true, but you keep believing a lie about yourself or your circumstances something that just keeps pulling you back. And I just, I want to give you an opportunity right now to receive the power that Jesus promised he would give you so that you can obey his commandments. Jesus told his disciples in Acts chapter 1, don't you dare go out and try to fulfill the Great Commission until you've been endued with power from on high. He's talking about the Spirit of Truth. He's talking about the Holy Spirit that gives you the power to be an effective witness, to not live in habitual sin in your actions or in your thought life. And all through the Word of God, the pattern of the New Testament church was that people would believe and they would be saved and their names would be written in the Lamb's book of life 
then they would receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the enablement to be who God called them to be and to overcome sin in their life. So if you're here today and you say, I need that power, more than than just good advice, more than a fresh start, I know how this story goes. I'm going to start and I'll be back here again if something's not different this time. The difference is the spirit of truth. So the next time that that temptation wells up on the inside of you, there's a different spirit. Whereas before you were deceived, now your eyes are open. You go, that doesn't look like it used to. When that temptation comes, it's, it's like it's diluted. It's not as strong. And you go, I, I just don't have that desire like I used to have. It's something different about your life. That you, it's intangible. You can't explain it. It's, it's supernatural. It's what John had. That's why when they tried to describe what was going on in John's life when he was a young man, not even the religious leaders could explain it except to say they've been with Jesus. We talked about it Wednesday night, right, Earl? Acts 4.12. They said, we can see these men are unschooled, ordinary men, but they've been with Jesus. And people are going to look at your life, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and they're going to go, I don't know what's different about them. I don't know what it is. They don't talk like they used to talk. They don't, they don't act like they used to act. I have noticed, though, like every Sunday, I see their car back out. They go to church. They're in fellowship. Those people have been with Jesus. So if you want to receive the Holy Spirit's empowerment in your life, I want to just invite you right now to just lift your hands toward heaven. We're going to pray a closing prayer. And I want to invite you to open your mouth. The Holy Spirit wants to fill you. He wants to baptize you with his supernatural power. Listen, I don't have time to teach you all things about the Spirit, but God wants to teach you. The Holy Spirit wants to teach you. Just open your heart, begin to receive. Say, God, I want more of your Spirit. God, I want what you have for me. Lord, right now, you see the desire in your people for more of you. God, we need your power. We don't have the strength on our own to fight these battles, but God, enable your church. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Lord, give us the evidence that we've been filled, just like you gave evidence in the New Testament. Lord, give your people a new prayer language. Give them a way to communicate the very will of God through their prayers. Not prayers that are limited by our understanding. Not prayers that are limited by our native tongue. God, give us a supernatural prayer language. If there's any Pentecostal people in the house unashamed to lift your voice to God, I want to encourage you to do it. Just lift your voice to the Lord for a few moments. Listen, if you're hungry for the Spirit, God's going to begin to just birth new words on the inside of you. John 7, 37 said, if you're thirsty, open your mouth. If you're thirsty, open your mouth and rivers of living water will flow from your inmost being. That's what the Holy Spirit wants to do right now. He wants to let a new heavenly language just begin to flow up from within you. Holy Spirit, fill your church. God, may we not be limited by our own knowledge because we can't be sure anymore. God, we need the spirit of the Lord, the spirit of truth to fill the church in Jesus name
Rete ya shandara da bakushi ya tarada bakia. Rete ya shandara da bakushi ya tarada bakia. God wants to give you a prayer language. Allow the Holy Spirit to just flow in your life. Listen, you may never, you you may never have a message for the church in tongues. You may never have an interpretation of tongues. But God wants to give you a personal and a powerful prayer language. Paul said it like this: When you pray in the Spirit, you pray the very will of God. God, it's in the moments that we don't know what to say. We don't know how to pray. We're unsure. These are the moments that we need your Holy Spirit to breathe, to unction our prayer life. Lord, let your Spirit flow in your church. Come on, as the Holy Spirit just wells up on the inside of you, just begin to release those words. Begin to pray out loud. Some of you, for the first time, you're not seeking God with the words of his word that you learned. You're not seeking God with your own desires. But God wants to begin to let you pray according to the will of the Father. Just begin to open your mouth and give him praise. Jesus, we worship you. Jesus, we love you. Jesus, we glorify you today. Holy Spirit, make your presence more real to us in this hour than ever before. Lord, we're available. We're available. Empower us with your Spirit. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for your presence. You know, the the best prayer and the safest prayer, maybe, you can pray is to say, God, I want everything you want for me. You know, it's funny. I've prayed for a lot of people to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And a lot of people, when you start talking about supernatural things, they have now stepped outside of their realm of understanding. You go, oh, that's not, that, this doesn't feel natural. Well, no, duh. It's not natural. It's supernatural. So if you stand there and try to make sense of everything that God wants to do in your life, you're not going to get everything God wants to do. Can I tell you, if I served a God that I could fully figure out, he's not big enough to be my God. So there's a faith realm that God wants you to step into. I want to just challenge you. Because maybe you're hearing this and you're going, what just happened? Pray this prayer. God, I want everything you want from me. I want everything you want from me. You take that prayer posture and you open up your word. And I want to promise you, you're going to find that God is a God of the supernatural. And that you'll drive yourself crazy trying to understand how he works. But if you'll let God be God, and stay in the light, I want to promise you, you'll get to the end of your journey, like John did, some 70, 80, 90 years old, maybe 100 years old. After church, I'm going to visit our oldest living member, Pauline Fritz, 100 years old. And the last time I sat at her bedside a week ago and began to pray, 
100 years old, and her lips started to stammer. The power of the Holy Spirit started to fill that room. She prayed in a heavenly language. I want to promise you, God will fill you with His Spirit if you're hungry for it. And He'll enable you to be an effective witness, full of joy and free from sin. Father, I pray today for your church. God, give us a hunger like never before to know what we believe and to have confident hope. Thank you, God, for the power of your Holy Spirit. Fill us today with joy. Fill us with freedom. Lord, let our lives be changed, that other people would look at us the way that the church looked at John, and they'll say, those people are a reliable source. Their life's consistent. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, they're the real deal. They're driven by a spirit of truth. God, we thank you for your blessing on your word and on this church. In Jesus' name. Come on, let's give God praise one more time today. Amen. Amen. Amen.